Welcome to episode 154, Holistic Healing, Indigenous Approaches to Mental Health, featuring Robin Gomez, licensed clinical social worker. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and today I am honored to be joined by Robin Gomez. She is a uh, licensed clinical social worker in Southern California, and her specialization is the integration of Indigenous principles into treatment and working with Indigenous communities. And I'm just very grateful for her to spend this time with us today talking more about these principles and their application to our work as healing professionals. Thank you so much for joining us, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into this topic, why don't you take a moment and tell our listeners about yourself and your background and how you came to work with this particular population and have this specialization? Absolutely. So I just want to say Piali, Natoka, Robin Gomez, Newa, Chicana, Wichol. So in my mother language, I was able to say hello. So my name is Robin Gomez. I am Chicana Wichol. I am licensed clinical social worker, and I'm also an infant mental health specialist. I'm on the unceded territories of the Fernandinian Tatavian Band of Mission Indians, which is located in the Northeast San Fernando Valley. Ever since I was a young child, I had people ask me if I was Native. Throughout my going to college, reconnecting and reclaiming our roots, and reclaiming and being proud of my heritage, I think that's really what led me to getting more involved with community, a little more activism. And I met the most two caring individuals that really transformed my life. And that was Trini and Luis Rodriguez. They are the co-founders of Tia Chucha Centro Cultural. It is an art center. And when I met them, they were just telling me, you really need to meet these individuals. And I said, okay. So I met with them. We had a great conversation. Right away, I was just young, talking about, we need women's circles, we need cultural, we need... And they said the magic words that I never thought I would hear when I was in other community spaces was, we'll teach you, we'll teach you how to do it. And that really just changed my entire life. So I did, I returned and I started working with Trini Rodriguez and running our women's circles. After that, we went independent founded our own C513, which was our own Weshotlali uh, Tonan Foundation. And then from there, it just kind of really led me on this path of working with women, families, um, learning how to integrate and return back to our ancestral teachings, while at the same time reclaiming our own heritage and going back and centering back on those practices. So I was really, really grateful when I found Indigenous Circle of Wellness. And I found it when I was a clinician working in community mental health. And I heard about a Native conference for mental health providers. And I was like, wait, I'm not the only one. And I fell in love. I met a community. I met Indigenous Circle Wellness. I met our founder, uh, Monique Castro, who's the founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle Wellness. And yeah, we're able to provide quality wellness support that is culturally inclusive. 
centers on indigenous core values and supports the healing of black, native, indigenous, and communities of color. And now I'm here and I get to practice this with amazing, beautiful people in the community. Thank you. Thank you for spending this time with us and with everything else that you're doing. And you and I were talking before the interview, you are wearing lots of hats right now. <laughs> so thank you for, for taking this time. So you already mentioned kind of some of the indigenous core values. Why don't we start there? If you could um, explain a little bit more about how um, that differs from Western core values and what you've learned in the application of these values to mental health treatment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I think was very, um, you know, uh, just realizing that going back to understanding and having a foundation of westernized worldview and then indigenous worldview values. So I always like starting off with Terry Cross. Terry Cross is um, an ASW, MSW, and also LCSW with the um, National Association for, um, which is the ICWA, which is for... Um, uh, I don't know why it's escaping my, my point right now. I always talk about National Association of Indian Welfare, uh, Welfare Act, uh, Indian Welfare Act. And um, through this association, they have the relational worldview model. And I think that we're starting off to understand a little bit about those indigenous core values is understanding Western thought and then also understanding relational worldview. So Terry Cross really talks about a relational worldview that in order when we look at people's wellness, we need to, you know, treat the whole body. We need to think about the four quadrants. We need to think about where we're at and how everything's interconnected. And this is where these indigenous core values come from. So as I mentioned, Moni Castro, she is the founder and CEO of Indigenous Circle of Wellness. She was part of um, this wonderful program. Um, it's called the IOI. It's, I'm trying to find the acronyms here for it. Um, but they came from uh, uh, LaDonna Harris. She's the founder of the AIO and who's originally shared the four R's through her program. Um, they all derive from indigenous communities, um, but she was one of the first people who really de developed this in a great way and remembering them as the four R's in which their core values that also intimate um, implement and share. So this is where uh, Moni Castro learned it as an ambassador of the program. And also she's alum an alumni of this great program. And I could put in the chat or I can give you this resource as well to share out to learn more about what the AOI does and all the wonderful work that they do. Um, but with ICO, we added a, a fifth R. So that R comes from the respect. And this is also citing from Dr. Robin Mintthorne and her book, Indigenous Leadership. So Dr. Minthorn is Koa Apache Nets Pierce in Utma, and she is um, also was in the IOA program. Um, and um, she's now a faculty member of Washington, um, uh, University of Washington in Tacoma. 
So when we talk about these core indigenous values, um, that's where these they come from, and that's just kind of citing and referencing them. But the four, the five R's that we talk about is relationships, responsibility, reciprocity, redistribution, and respect. So going back to this concept that we're all interrelated. So working from indigenous core values, knowing that we're all related relationships. In the most profound sense, we're all related. When we greet each other, when we see each other, even um, in speaking with one another, a lot of the times you'll hear here within Native communities, many refer to their each other as cousins, second mothers. Um, also, those are our relatives and our cousins when they're referring to another nation or tribe. So um, it's in that profound sense that we're all interconnected. Um, even for me growing up, um, I mentioned that I was Huichol and Chicana. So even when we greet each other, we greet each other with that respect of I see you, you see me. Um, I know that there's a lot of African proverbs as well that also have these similar meanings. So when we greet each other, we greet each other with this relationship and just sending that we're all related and that gives that sense of respect. A sense of respect leads us into responsibility, that we as a community have a duty to care for our relatives. So when we care for our relatives the same way we care for one another, we're sharing that sense of responsibility and community. We have reciprocity, interconnectedness that our relationships and responsibilities shape our roles in our lives and are reciprocal as the nature of the universe. So going back to, again, this integral part of respect, the respect for self, respect for community, respect for interconnectedness, nature, and then also that leads to redistribution. We want to be generous. Um, our traditions, our thoughts, our culture are not us, uh, ours to hoard, but we also want to give acknowledgement and give respect to where those came from and give acknowledgement. This is how we passed on our stories, even through oral tradition. We always talked about where, even when we introduce ourselves, we introduce where our townships are, where we're from, um, who claims us or who we're part of or who we represent um, when we're given those responsibilities. Um, but we want to be generous. We want to be generous and reciprocal in those relationships and responsibilities that guide us to share our resources and help us maintain balance. Um, so this is just a little bit of that information of where those core values will come from and how they guide the work that we do at ICO. Got it. Thank you. So again, to restate those, the original four R's were relationship, responsibility, reciprocity, and redistribution. And that fifth R added by, it sounds like Monique, um, was respect in this idea that that's also foundational to these core values. Yeah. So the fifth R comes and is referenced from Dr. Robin Midthorne. Okay, and this thank is you. their work. Yeah. So we, we, then we put them together. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for that correction. Yeah. Um, so in the way that you even introduced yourself today in your work, when you're even introducing yourself with a new client, 
tell me about that and how that's different than what we're accustomed to doing in the Western way, which is here is my name, here is my title, and then here are all these fancy papers on, <laughs> on the wall that give me um, some authority. <laughs> Yeah. So even like, um, you know, when we're getting to know each other, right, um, usually we start with the consult. So in the consult right away, we're already establishing that rapport and we introduce ourselves. So just letting people know, you know, who we are, our clanships, again, our tribes, um, where we are. Um, I am a detribalized um, Chicana, so we were detribalized on my paternal side. So that's why I say that I'm Chicana because I grew up here in um, Southern California. And um, that for me was very personal in terms of reclaiming my heritage and being proud of who I was. When I was told for a long time that I was othered, um, you know, just experience a lot of untold truths. And even our own histories are not being taught to us properly in school. So um, the reason I was so going into that, we're already talking about building that relationship of who we are, that we, in a sense, see each other as relatives, and how we can relate to one another. When we're looking at the overarching concept of healing, what is healing through an indigenous lens? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I can't answer or speak for an entire indigenous continent, but I can share what I was taught through um, my elders and the people that I've been working closely with. So when we think about healing and healing concepts, um, you know, I'm not a healer. Like, I won't identify as a healer. I probably did when I was younger, and they were like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, oops. So, you know, I get a gentle correction um, through beautiful people that I work with. And that's what community was meant to do. They correct us, and we, we do better. Um, but what I was taught is we facilitate healing. Everyone has the inherent ability within their own capacity to heal the self. And I think that's what, when I think about healing principles or what healing means, that's, that's, that's what I interpret. We all have this inherent strength to heal with one another, and it's just facilitating. So as a practitioner, I'm able to facilitate. I don't take the, I don't take it on because it's not my healing journey or me to go through that. It's that person, individual, and through their process that they need to go through. And I'm just there to walk along with them and see where that journey goes. Um, for some of our relatives, it's a lot easier. And for some, it takes a little bit more work and guidance. Even sometimes other forms of um, assistance or support, which is doesn't mean it's negative. It's just that how do we integrate all these different pieces and that's what we do here at Indigenous Circle of Wellness, is we're looking at integral healing as using the medicine wheel, using our four, our five core Indigenous values as a way to bring um, foundational um, you know, healing to, to the community, but that we have that inherent power to, to heal. I appreciate that concept as you're describing it against the idea of a healer, because to, to my white Western cultured ears, um, it's that power differential that mm -hmm. 
if we are stepping into uh, I am healer, there's so many demands then about the other person needing to be healed, about the pressure that's on the healer. Um, that in and of itself, I think is a really interesting principle. And I also heard what you said in this idea of gentle correction. Mm -hmm. That again is a, um, a difference between how um, it sounds like you're conceptualizing and feeling elders, someone with different authority than you giving you guidance that it's um, not it sounds like you're not receiving it as criticism, you're receiving it as opportunities for growth. So building on the idea of these five R's, and there's so much more for us to discuss this conversation, but building on this concept, do you introduce these R's to your clients and say, these are some of the concepts that I want to teach you about and that we're going to use as as foundational? Or are they just basically integrated to how you are um, viewing somebody in their care? That's a great question. Um, in, in reflecting a little bit, um, I think it's both. So for example, a lot of the times we pick up clients after we gave a presentation in the community. So we talk about these indigenous approaches to mental wellness, and we talk about the work that we do. So from there, it's very natural that a lot of community gets interested and then wants to work with one of our practitioners. So then we integrate that as part of the work. Um, A lot of the times we have people that have not been to our trainings, but because they're indigenous themselves or they come from a community of color, they also integrate that their culture. So then we start to develop and talk about those values. And then that's just integrated into the work. You've spoken a little bit about this uh, already, but I want to invite a little bit more discussion about how the indigenous perspective brings in that focus on culture and identity and how it's vital vital to everyday actions, not just to healing. Can, can you speak a bit more to that, especially as we have the Western world coming to more appreciation of uh, transgenerational and intergenerational dynamics and epigenetics and all of these things of like, we are we are more than the person standing in front of you right now. Can you speak to that from the indigenous perspective and how that, that is either similar or different from what the Western dominant culture would say? Yeah, so um, when I think about, um, you know, integrating culture and identity, when I think about culture, culture is everything we do. Culture plays out how we eat, how we sleep, how we interact, um, our experiences, and how we relate to one another. So how we see ourselves in place, Um, thinking about this from an indigenous worldview, and then, of course, all the other uh, elements that you brought in about epigenetics, behavior, and, you know, even intergenerational historical trauma, I actually did a capstone on this um, for my fellowship. Um, And for me, um, again, this is from my experience and what I was able to pick on. I can't speak for an entire continent. Um, But in thinking about those elements, it really starts with our stories of creation. So for many of us, we are taught our stories of creation 
from when we're in the womb, it's been passed on. For some of us, we're reclaiming our stories of creation. So we're in different parts of our journey and our healing journey and where we stand. But I really feel that once we get to the root and we start to understand our, our, our stories of creation, it starts to shift how we think about ourselves, how we see ourselves and our place in the world. Because then we start to have a sense of interconnectedness where we belong. I have a sense of purpose. We have a sense. And even thinking about those indigenous core values, right, when we practice them, it's practicing these values and integrating them in our life. And when you're in where you're when you're working with a lot of um, when you're working with multiple um, communities, they all have their own practices and traditions, but they're all interconnected. So we do acknowledge that we all come from different backgrounds. But a lot of these core principles are very interconnected, but we want to respect one another. We see everyone as kinship. We have a sense of responsibility to take care of one another. We want to give that reciprocity and we want to be generous. We are a generous people when it comes to what we have. We want to share that because when we share that information, we're sharing the teachings that came before us and the teachings that are kind of after and then that's also going to reciprocate and create a ripple effect that's going to impact self, family, community, and our nation and our overall well-being. That is a relational worldview. What's it like for you to have been conditioned through the Western perspective in your graduate education of like, you know, here are these psychotheoretical models. Here's how healing works. This is what we do in the United States, you know, like you're handed this kind of rule book. And then for you to also have this exposure and understanding elsewhere, as you're speaking about this, there's such, I'm hearing such huge differences um, and commonalities, but also some major differences in the way that you're even speaking about relationship. I well, one, I appreciate what I learned. Um, I don't, completely like discredit it. But I think what what was added and what was really helpful, again, being guided by the mentors I had, by the elders that I work with. So I'm really grateful. Um, again, I grew up with these traditions, not knowing we were doing our traditions. Um, so I really had these since I was little. And I'm just really grateful for my family, because um, we weren't too far disconnected. So I always knew there was something different. Um, and I think it was just connecting those. I remember being little and going to school and being like, hey, I was told this. And then, nope, that's not how it was. So I always felt like I was navigating these two worlds. And for me, as an indigenous woman being in academia, it has been very challenging. It's been challenging because I hear a lot of false narratives that are based on these dominant on the the dominant culture. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're talking about diversity, we're talking about inclusion. But when I speak up, I'm being told that, that I'm very vocal. So that's what I've been. That's what I've heard that I was very vocal. I was very outspoken. um, And I was like, well, isn't that what we were taught 
to think, to really reflect and think about these concepts and how they relate to our work. So for me personally, um, being in graduate school or being in a lot of these trainings we go to, a lot of these concepts that are coming out as new are not really new. Um, we're like, yeah, we kind of knew that already. Like <laughs> our ancestors knew this. I remember being in a training one day and we had this very lovely person talking about the bottom brain, the way the brain works, how we take information, and then talking about uh, the concept of mothering and what happens, what's so crucial, what happens in the womb and how we need to care for a woman and the baby starting at the womb um, as opposed to after after the baby is born and how the baby's blueprint, their development, how they integrate all the sensory. And in my head, all I kept thinking was like, yep, that's what our elders said. <laughs> we already knew this. Yeah. So, uh, for example, we know that we take care of our women. I had two wonderful pregnancies and I had our women's circle to take care of me to really um, just support me. So I, I have that. Uh, we bundle our babies up like a little burrito, a little blanket. We use cradle boards because we know that that's what they need in order to help them integrate all those sensories that they need. So, you know, we knew that women needed to be taken care of um, and that, you know, there was that saying that if you got upset, you're eating the stress. Well, yeah, that's what happens. If you're being cooked in, you know, the stress hormones, then you probably it's it's going to impact how you are. So we would come as a community. So again, we were already integrating these principles, yeah. we were already using these. So when I was in graduate school and I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm like, that's what our ancestor says. It just kind of was kind of brushed off as like folklore of where it was. So I am very appreciative to all the indigenous scholars and all their work that they've done, that they're teaching in universities, that they're speaking out because it was through their support that I can be here today to talk about these concepts and how we're integrating these concepts into our work. The longer I spend as a clinician and also as a human, just continually appreciating how much just me as an individual, I've been force fed um, these Western concepts that, you know, I, I appreciate what you said, which is like, I'm not, I'm not, um, tossing them out saying that they're worthless, but also appreciating how young, <laughs> like the medical model is, and like these concepts that, that we really hold as very, um, very true and very accurate in any other way must be wrong. And it's just kind of mind boggling when you look at other traditions in other cultures, if we're looking at Eastern medicine, we're looking at um, Ayurveda, we're looking at indigenous practices. And I, I just continue to, to look at my very myopic Western view in trying to expand it because I think we're really doing a disservice, not only to um, our clients, but to ourselves by accepting 
anything is fact, I guess, without questioning and trying to learn more and understand. I know there are so many topics that, that I want to ask you about today. One of them you already tossed uh, tossed out there, and I want to go back to it, but that's the concept of the medicine wheel, the sacred hoop. Um, can you speak about those? I have a very passing knowledge of these concepts, but if you could give us the kind of brief breakdown just of how to conceptualize what this what this is, and then also that next layer of like, what what does this mean in terms of therapy and mental health treatment? Absolutely. So at Indigenous Circle of Wellness, we use what we call uh, the medicine wheel or the medicine hoop. So the medicine wheel or medicine hoop is a universal concept that's used throughout many different tribes and different nations and um, Indigenous peoples. So the idea of the medicine wheel is, is that we have what we have four quadrants. So in these four quadrants, we're able to take a little bit from a holistic view. So these four quadrants reflect um, our directions, such as north, east, south, and west. They represent different colors. They represent different seasons. So you have winter, spring, summer, um, fall. Uh, and then also winter, you have different medicines that are used during these different times. So for different nations or tribes that you're working with, depending on the season and depending on the direction that they're in, this is the time where we use these um, sacred medicines. So we can use cedar, tobacco, sweetgrass, sage, and there's many more that are used, but these are just to give examples. And then these four directions also um, uh, give um, interpretation and give also development. So starting from childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then also elder elderhood. So these are the directions that we go to. So and using the medicine wheel or the sacred hoop allows us to look at healing from a holistic lens and not as separate. So we treat the work that we do as we treat it um, as what needs to be um, treated, but we look at everything. We look at where are we at? What is in? So we also going back to Terry Cross's relational worldview. Um, and in that article, they talk a little bit more about the four quadrants, but also when we look at relational worldview is what is our relationship with these four quadrants? And then how are we? Because when we're not in homeostasis or balanced in these um, areas in harmony, then we're off balance. So then we're unwell. So in order to achieve wellness and to achieve health, we need to achieve it from all these four different perspectives. And again, these are very interconnected universal concepts. And some other tribes that you might be working with or indigenous communities, it might also, or nations, they also might have more quadrants. In the Western way of thinking, we love different systems. <laughs> we love breaking everything down into separate. That's a, that is a reproductive issue. Uh, that is, that is uh, a cardiac issue, um, heavily contrasted to other worldviews. If we're applying that same um, breaking apart to mental health treatment, just throwing out an example, let's look at 
panic, for example, let's say somebody has a panic disorder. So looking at it through a Western lens, we may, and not necessarily, as you said, you can't speak for an entire continent, nor can I, um, but but we may try to break down of like, how are the thoughts preceding these actions and feelings? And we might uh, label anxious thought patterns and automatic negative thoughts. And this, and I'm speaking from a very cognitive behavioral lens right there. But um, how would that same issue potentially be conceptualized? if we're looking at it through an indigenous lens. So if we're talking about panic disorder, for example, and zooming out to see balance as wellness, what does that teach you? Yeah, so for example, just asking a little bit more about getting a whole sense of the self. So I really appreciate that you talked about how we like to separate everything like that is a mental health issue that is a cardiac, that is, you know, reproductive. Um, But when you look at the human body, like it's whole. It's not separate. Um, Even as we learn more, um, even looking at neurobiology, looking at biology, we're working that everything needs to work together. So looking at that, one of the concepts also um, that we learned is, is that in a westernized thought, it's very linear cause and effect. And that's also um, not supportive. So if we were to look at a panic attack from a linear cause and effect, then that's when you're putting all these thought patterns, right? The thought patterns, looking at it from key, looking at it from, um, you know, anxious thoughts, where, where that comes from. But if we were to look at this from an indigenous lens, looking at relational, looking at the relationships, what is the supports? So for example, tell me what's working well physically. Tell me what's working well mental. Tell me what's working well emotionally. Tell me what's working well spiritually. Now we're able to get a little bit more information and look at this as a relational worldview to figure out a little bit where part of those panic attacks are maybe coming from and then working collaboratively to be able to see where we can balance it out so we can bring the individual back to homeostasis and support wellness. Supporting our wellness takes work. It takes tending to. It takes time. If you further apply this vignette of a panic disorder with the medicine wheel, what does that look like in your conceptualization as a practitioner? So you're sitting with somebody and and your mind is constantly organizing information. So for you to organize this information, how do you perhaps, you know, this is all just a vignette and it's all made up, but how do you start to organize that in relation to a medicine wheel? I just start to tell the person to ask, to tell me their story. Just tell me your story and listen to listen. Um, a lot of the times we're going to see that when we listen to listen and not interrupt, uh, but just allow the story to come, there's a lot that starts to come out. So sometimes we hear concepts of grief and loss. A lot of the times we're dealing with other things. They might be genetic or might be biological, but it gives us a real chance to really look at everything and then really utilize the quadrants and start to identify and ask, okay, tell us what's working well, tell us what's working in this area. And then helping um, the person we're working with identify what needs a little more tending to, to support their overall wellness. And that could also support managing um, some of those panic attacks. As you were talking about that, 
it harken back to narrative therapy. Knowing what you know about the alphabet soup, <laughs> it is <laughs> evidence-based practices in the United States. Um, where do you see there being like some real overlap in the concepts when we're getting away from this um, very linear perspective of mental health? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting that you asked that question. I think if I would have, if you would have asked me that question, maybe six months ago, or five years ago, I would have gave you a different answer. And I'm pretty sure I'll give you a different answer six months from now <laughs> on that question. Um, I think it's all about kind of integration. So for example, we all have that key concept to heal ourselves, and to reconnect with ourselves. Unfortunately, a lot of the times for our relatives, we really do live in a dangerous time and in dangerous world. So for example, a lot of the things that are facing our community, um, just recently we had Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Days, bringing awareness to Indigenous murdered women. And in urban communities, how women are, and children, are, even our, our, our boys, are being kidnapped and are being sold into um, sex trafficking. That's real. Being pulled over by the police, that's real. Being systematically in racial profile, like that's real. So for someone to walk in their daily life, especially for people who want to do well, I constantly hear this from different professionals that we work with and also community and youth. How can I be myself and be my authentic self and fight for for justice and equality when I'm going to be labeled and then I can also hurt and bring harm. So how can I stay safe? So it's really just navigating a lot of where their story needs and where they want to get to. So for example, um, with someone with panic attacks, it's first learning, well, what is it? What is it that you're hoping to gain? And where can we learn about that? And I think that that sometimes is comes out not necessarily just labeling it as narrative therapy, but just really listen to listen. And I've caught myself too. I had when I started off as a, as a young practitioner, I had people coming in and telling me and right away, I was like, yeah, you can fix it like this, just do this. And it, it, you know, because there's this concept of fixing, when I just really realized, no, and this is really a concept I've learned from Dr. Bruce Perry, is dosing, dosing and spacing. Dosing and spacing is what's going to help us to be able to help the person achieve their goals. But in, I, I feel that in order to dose and space, we need to be able to listen and listen without responding. Because I think a lot of the times we have a difficult, uh, there's a challenges without listening, um, without this, um, this need, this immediate need to stop the uncomfortable to pause where it's at or to kind of disrupt that. And I think looking at it from that, so not necessarily putting a label on it. Speaking as a white queer woman and whatever that means to me and whatever that might mean to anybody else, when we practitioners of any um, historically marginalized community are listening to respond and we've all been there it's, it's unavoidable um but it takes away from the centering that that client deserves and i i'm glad you bring up that concept 
of the importance of just kind of sharing space and bearing witness instead of getting caught up in the Western way of thinking, which is very much, let me fix you. There is a problem with your thinking pattern. (laughs) There is a problem. We are so problem focused. And then we go to an expert to fix that problem, which is very different than how you've been talking about that today. From an indigenous perspective, mental unwellness, if you will, please correct my language. I'm curious what language you would use. But so if, if balance equals wellness, if we're hurting emotionally, what does that mean? That means something is an imbalance. Is that right? So when we're looking for me, I have an issue with the word balance. When I think of the word balance, I think of a scale and I feel like I have to be here. And that the, the very idea that I have to balance this and I have to be here in order to be well. Right. And it stresses me out. Between these two particular concepts where you have yeah. to have um, equilibrium, has to be equal on, yes. on both sides. Yeah. So that kind of does. So what I like to think of is harmonizing. So when we harmonize these different areas of, from ourselves um, and integrate them and start to bring that out, so that's part of the facilitation of the healing practices, then we start looking at these different four quadrants. And we want to look at this from a strength base because it's so easy to go to all the negative. We can sit here and think about all the negative things in the world. But if we were to think about what's working, that's where it takes work. <laughs> so being able to facilitate. Um, so we want to start with regulating, um, making sure that we can connect up to the cortical frontal uh, vortex that we need in order to get to a reflective space where we can really think about what is working for me. What is working for me that's physically, what's working for me What's supporting my physical wellness? So for example, what's working well? If we were to all take a moment to just take a step back, take a deep breath and think and draw it out or pencil it or visualize it however we want to, and just take a moment to really reflect on what is supporting my physical wellness right now or what is supporting my physical wellness at this state. Then think about what is supporting my thoughts so that's what's supporting my mental wellness. It's, it's what's supporting my thoughts. What comes in to support those thoughts? Then we start thinking about also what's supporting our feeling. What makes me feel good? That's our emotions. And then also thinking about spiritually connectedness. What's helping me feel spiritually connected? So once we start thinking about those concepts and integrating myself Then I start to think about how I'm harmonizing. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know what? I probably need to walk a little bit because I'm doing really great in all these other quadrants, but I haven't been physically active. So that's what I need to do to harmonize and bring myself back to homeostasis and achieve equilibrium. I think achieving equilibrium is something that we gain towards mastery. And I think that's something we're all working towards. I am taking in what you just said about this idea of harmonization. 
And I, I really appreciate what you said about, I don't like the word balance because you're right. It's existing between either or there's no, there's no layer to that. But also keep in mind to indigenous peoples, balance means something else. So when we think about balance, we're not thinking about a scale. We're thinking about achieving wholeness and thinking about where these other areas are coming in from. Mm -hmm. So how do we achieve the balance within relations, right? Respect. So it all comes back to integrating these wonderful concepts and then integrating ourselves thinking about culture, identity, all of these things play into play when we're thinking about human relations. You briefly touched upon the use of herbs, things like that. Again, coming at this from a very Western perspective, the um, definition of therapy can often be very limiting because it is so like this system only. (laughs) So we get into hot water as clinicians, you know, it's like, oh, you're also doing yoga with a client and there was somatic healing, you touched them. That's a separate consent that needs to be signed. You know, like things get very complicated very quickly in the Western world because we very much are like, stay in your lane. How do you conceptualize this when your worldview and your perspective brings in these different elements that are not the standard quote-unquote western way of doing therapy so again i think that we can use both we can use um because i don't want to completely discredit and come off that we need to discredit you know western thought either because there's some there's some concepts that we can use that i think are wonderful um but i also want to be mindful so It's more about integrating and helping facilitating that practice. So for example, if I had someone, we talked about someone with panic attacks, I would ask them, what are some things in your culture that help support you? So then we bring that into the therapy and helping that with supporting um, and managing um, what they want to achieve out of our interaction. Do you view healing? in your work as involving the somatic piece, involving other senses. So what we're smelling, what we're tasting, what we're feeling, how do you integrate that in the therapy room? Absolutely. It goes back to the wheel that we were referring to. You have to integrate all these pieces. We, we can't like ignore that. So a lot of the times we integrate that through rhythmic patterns. Sometimes we do that through lodge. Again, I'm talking about other concepts that are non-traditional, but they're concepts that can also help. So when we create, you know, um, harmonization or balance or, you know, using, it's really finding out what works and exploring what works for the individual. It's not a recipe for one all. Um, But yeah, you definitely, I, I think that it's very important to include those senses because it's including those senses where we're starting to trust our bodies again so we can rewire the part of our brain that we need. So Dr. Michael Yellowbird talks a lot about neural decolonization and how we need to integrate these different elements so we can rewire and reconnect that part of our brain through neuroplasticity. I've never heard that term before. Can you speak a little bit more about that and and its application and what we're talking about today? I, I 
I want to learn more. <laughs> yeah. So for example, I mentioned to you a little bit about returning to our creation stories. So a lot of the times, um, what I love is um, when I'm working with different nations, um, we talk about that. It's like, hey, are you aware of your creation story? Yeah, our creation story talks about how, you know, they share their creation story and how that came to be about and how their tribe um, got the name that they got and what that means for them. So then we start integrating all these parts of the story to integrate up with about themselves. So one of the things about epigenetics and about the work that we're doing and early childhood development, the only way the gene can be expressed or through that development is through the experience. So development happens through experiences. So that's when the gene goes on or off. So if someone doesn't have that experience, then they don't have that part of the development. So when we integrate these other parts, again, the whole, we, we cannot, we can't forget about our quadrants. When we harmonize them, we utilize them, we use these in a way, then we start to rethink. We start to turn on those experiences. We start to reconnect. We start to develop a different perspective and neural uh, perspective, which then starts to shift. That shift starts through that neuroplasticity and making new meaning and making new changes. And we start to see things. So it's just really starts to shift. It just shifts a little bit of the perspective. It shifts the way we're able to bring ourselves to balance, how we bring ourselves back to centering, grounding, Sometimes we can do that as something as easily as letting the sun, just the warmth, you know, warm rays like, you know, um, surround us, putting our feet on the grass, asking for Mother Nature, asking for that connection and just taking a deep breath. And as we all know, the science backs it up that melatonin is great for, for our mental health and that we need the sun. Um, so again, it's these... Um, small changes, small things that we can do that surround ourselves, that we start to bring out our own talents and our gifts and our own healing that starts to draw out and starts to shift for us. There are obviously so many more concepts that we haven't even touched upon. For our listeners that are um, interested that you've piqued their interest in the idea of indigenous principles of wellness and mental health. Where do you recommend folks go to learn more about this and how to even start integrating this in the work that they're providing, um, regardless of race or ethnicity or, or background? Yeah, I think that, you know, utilizing culture is um, medicine. So, you know, we hear these concepts that culture is medicine. I truly believe in that. So I invite our listeners, think to your culture, go back and visit your culture. Uh, Europe has amazing cultures. They're not to dislike, disregard them. Uh, there's wonderful cultures throughout Europe. So bringing those in, thinking, taking a moment to reflect on how you use your own culture, how your own culture plays out and how you eat, how you sleep, how you play, how you integrate, how you interact. And, um, you know, I think connecting back to that helps us connect and relate 
um, where we're not imposing when we're helping um, our our relatives. Because, um, you know, I think one of the beauties of being connected to the culture and appreciating my culture has allowed me to appreciate other cultures, um, has allowed me to appreciate differences um, and where we share those differences. But at the end, they are interconnected. So I think that for someone, um, when we're in touch with that part, we secure a place for ourselves. So using culture as medicine, um, I definitely think is something that could be done. And then also knowing that, you know, um, you know, facilitate, we're facilitating and bearing witness to someone's experience, but it wasn't meant for us to carry that weight and for us to make that experience. And unfortunately, the medical, mo- the medical model does that because you have to be out in six months. You have to implement this, um, you know, uh, evidence-based model or practice um, in three months. Um, we have time limits, insurance. Productivity um, requirements, exactly. the increments productivity requirements. Exactly. Um, but I think that with some, you know, some time, some training, we're able to integrate. And, you know, because I think that's one of the key concepts that I really appreciate from Dr. Bruce Perry is dosing and spacing. Um, you could still have a successful session and use your evidence-based models and practices. Just dose it out a little bit and what that looks like, and let the client kind of lead, but then also integrate and allow them to have faith and bring out their gifts and talents. Everyone has gifts and talents in this world. I genuinely believe in that. So I think that when I'm able to connect with someone, I think about those gifts and talents and thinking about how I can be supportive. Sometimes people don't want to bring those out, and I respect that. But I also still see this relative that we are connected and that we're related and that we are one and we have a sense of responsibility to each other. Even if that sense of responsibility means a boundary that this is not the time. Sometimes you can have the best recipe, the best medicine, and they'll be like, here, drink this, take this. It's going to help you. Sometimes we're just not ready to receive that medicine and that's okay. I remember one time when I was a young girl, well, I wasn't a young girl, I was a couple of years ago. My grandmother, I remember that they would talk to me about, again, you know, I grew up with these concepts. And I remember one time asking my grandma, Grandma, why didn't you share with me that we're Native? Why didn't you share with me that the practices we were doing were Native? And she simply looked at me with this warmness have smiled and said, you weren't ready to receive it. And I agree. I was not ready to receive the gifts that grandma wanted to bestow on me. But she knew, she knew through my growth and through my follow. Now she knows that I'm ready. So now she brings them. Now we talk about them. Um, But I do agree with her. I think that when I was younger, I wasn't ready to receive it. Um, And I'm definitely... I appreciate the kind words and the, 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 I'm very humbled. Um, but, you know, I also go through my own like, oh yeah. my God, what am I doing? And, <laughs> you know, this regulation and what is happening? And um, I just ask myself, okay, so I'm a big believer. 
practice what you preach. Yeah. So I I feel like a lot of the things we say is easier than said than done. And I genuinely do practice what I preach. I think to myself, um, if would I ever tell someone to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself? Um, and I don't think I would. Um, but everyone's wellness is different. So I genuinely try to practice, even in the leadership positions that I have, I practice those, um, those five R's. I definitely look at interconnectedness. I bring out those other, um, you know, toolkits and my medicine. My, I, you know, we talk about a toolkit. I call it my little medicine kit, my little medicine kit. Um, and again, it's like it's something that I'm able to to use and to bring out. So I definitely invite everyone here. Reconnect. Look at those. Look at your stories of creation. Start to see how that starts to shift. And um, just, you know, I think that as practitioners, um, we're just very grateful to be able to bear witness to people's experiences. But also just a gentle reminder, it's not our pain to take on. For folks that are listening and want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, so uh, we're at Indigenous Circle of Wellness. So um, you can find us at icowellness.com. And you can find information there. If you scroll all the way down at the bottom, you'll find our nonprofit, the Social Nali Sister Project. Through the Social Nali Sister Project, you can request trainings, facilitations, and more work that's involved. You can also donate. Um, one of the great things about donating to Indigenous Circle of Wellness is we are able to obtain scholarships and then we provide free therapy services to our clients and um, we're able to provide more services or even do um, different types of healing for um, the community that we work for. And you also do quite a bit of training, not just this conversation today, but so I encourage folks to learn more about Robin's work specifically in the training that she does. And you mentioned a number of professionals. You talked about uh, Dr. Yellowbird, Dr. Perry, Dr. Mitthorn. Are there any other um, authors or thought leaders that you really recommend to kind of embrace some of these concepts? Oh, I can have like a whole problem. Yes. But another one that I highly recommend is uh, Leah Denny. Uh, Leah Denny is with um, her Wellness Institute. Um, I believe they're in Milwaukee. Um, but Leah Denny really talks also about neurobiology and is also trained in the neurosequential model. Um, so I definitely um, have appreciated her. She's been one of our luminaries for the fellowship that I was a part of. So it has always been, again, I have so much love and respect to all our Native scholars because all the work that they've been able to put out has allowed me to be in a space where I can challenge some of these thoughts, I can talk about some of these concepts and think about integrating and um, also allows me to pass it on to the next generation. So one of my biggest dreams is also, and part of the reason why I put myself through this program 
Um, well, so I can be a clinical supervisor and um, support the next generation of clinicians and practitioners to look and do the work from a relational worldview model that is reflective and integrated in our culture. Robin, thank you. I am sure our listeners feel the same way I do. Thank you for um, inviting us into this space and, and sharing some of um some of your wisdom, and I mean that in every possible way of the wisdom of the people that came before you, the wisdom from you as a human and as a clinician. Thank you for sharing this space with us. It has been an enlightening uh, and wonderful hour. Tlatsukamati, uh, thank you so much. Again, I'm deeply humbled to be able to share a little bit of the knowledge that I hold. I still have a long way to learn, um, but I'm definitely humbled. And I just say thank you. Tlatsukamati. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.